Welcome to Immerse Prophets reading for week one, day one. Prophets. Introduction to Prophets. The Bible tells the story of how God chose the people of Israel for the sake of restoring the whole world. He entered into a series of covenants with Abraham and his descendants in order to move them closer and closer to this goal of being a life-giving blessing to all peoples. But over and over again, the ancient Israelites failed to honor their covenant obligations to God. The law of Moses insisted that they give the Lord their exclusive allegiance but they repeatedly turned to worship other gods. The law provided numerous safeguards for the poor and vulnerable, but the people frequently exploited the weakest of their citizens. In short, Israel failed to be the light to the nations that God was calling them to be. But God was determined to keep working with this imperfect nation to achieve His goal, so God sent special messengers, the prophets, to call the people back to Him. The messages of many of these prophets have been collected and preserved for us, and they now comprise nearly a third of the Bible's First Testament. The prophets play the role of covenant mediators, calling the people to be loyal to their covenant with the Lord. Many of the prophets frame their arguments as covenant lawsuits against the people. The prophet Micah, for example, announces at one point, Listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. The prophets establish in their arguments that the people have become unfaithful to God by failing to keep their covenant commitments. This is why the prophets typically begin their messages with warnings, followed by the announcement of necessary consequences for disobedience. But judgment is never the Lord's final word for Israel. Difficult messages of correction and judgment transform into visions of restoration and flourishing life. The prophets see a new future for Israel and the world based solely on God's good promises and His covenant faithfulness. The prophets themselves were more street preachers than the authors of books, normally proclaiming the Lord's messages at the gates of Jerusalem and the temple. They normally spoke in oracles, which were recorded and serve as the basic literary unit for most of the prophetic books. Prophetic oracles are poems that convey a single idea through several strategies. The prophets often use visual metaphors from the natural world to help their listeners imagine or picture their messages. Sometimes the metaphors come directly from the prophet's dramatic visions from God, which cannot easily be described in human terms. At other times, the metaphors are drawn from the prophet's own circumstances or experiences. Some oracles are based on the repetition of key ideas, litanies, or lists that drive home an essential point. Amos, for example, describes five different misfortunes that God has brought upon His people and says after each one, But still you would not return to me. 
prophetic language is typically strong and evokes powerful emotions because so much was at stake in these interventions with Israel. Some of the prophets set their oracles to music. This was another way they could ensure that their message would spread and be remembered. Isaiah, for example, introduces one oracle with, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. This particular oracle presents an extended metaphor, describing Israel as a well-tended vineyard that failed to produce the fruit the keeper wanted, the justice and righteousness that God had been cultivating in them. We present these books of the prophets in an order that follows their general historical sequence. As Israel journeys from the time of the empire of Assyria, through the period of the rule of Babylon and then Persia, to the return of the people to their homeland, the prophets are present to speak into Israel's various historical situations. The collections cannot all be dated precisely. Jonah and Joel are particularly difficult to locate historically, so they are placed last and can be read in view of the larger prophetic tradition. As Israel's wayfaring continues through the centuries, the prophets relentlessly remind the people of their true calling. Even through the dark abyss of exile and the loss of land and home, their hope for the future remains. This story is God's, and at the end of the day, He will act to save His people and His world. Immersed in Amos In the first half of the 8th century BC, the northern kingdom of Israel reached its greatest heights of prosperity and strength under the long reign of Jeroboam II. Israel's leaders and nobles reveled in the glory and power of their economic success and military prowess. They believed that this reflected God's favor and blessings upon them. After all, didn't they bring lavish offerings to their gods at the temple in Bethel, which was the king's sanctuary and a national place of worship, as well as at other shrines such as Gilgal and Dan? But their self-satisfaction was disturbed by the words of a shepherd from a small town in the southern kingdom. The temples of Israel will be destroyed. I will bring the dynasty of King Jeroboam to a sudden end. Why did the prophet Amos bring these dire words to the people? In the midst of their comfort and wealth, the Lord had seen the truth. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Israel's brash self-assurance was built on idolatrous worship, gross injustice, and mistreatment of the poor. So God sent His messenger to warn the northern kingdom of their coming judgment and demise. The leaders of Israel gave Amos's warning all the attention they felt it deserved. They threw him out of the kingdom and told him to peddle his message back in Judah, where he'd come from. So Amos left but his prophecies were written down to preserve them as an ongoing witness against the injustices that would doom the northern kingdom. He became the earliest of the writing prophets, whose words have been collected for us in the Bible. The book of Amos begins by establishing the credibility of his warnings. Its superscription specifies that he received his message two years before the earthquake. 
Amos had predicted this. The earth will tremble for your deeds, and everyone will mourn. The ground will rise like the Nile River at flood time. It will heave up, then sink again. And when this earthquake came, it was devastating. Geologists have found evidence at multiple sites of widespread and sudden destruction, consistent with a massive earthquake late in the reign of Jeroboam II. After this opening assertion that God truly is speaking through Amos, the book relays a cycle of oracles against the nations that immediately surround Israel. The prophet first announces judgment against these nations, and then in the seventh oracle turns to speak against the southern kingdom of Judah. The listeners in the northern kingdom likely would have expected this to be the final oracle, and they would have cheered the condemnation of their neighbors and closest rivals in Judah. But Amos has been drawing a target with Israel at the center, and he delivers his longest denunciation against the northern kingdom of Israel. Because of their wanton luxury, oppression of the poor, and idolatry, they will be defeated and destroyed. The rest of the book reinforces this message. It consists of loosely organized and sometimes interwoven short oracles that take up the same themes. Idolatry, injustice, oppression, and debauchery will bring God's judgment, no matter how strong Israel's army or enthusiastic its religious services. As part of this message of judgment, Amos also relays a series of visions given to him by God that metaphorically depict the coming punishment. These visions are juxtaposed with an account of the expulsion of Amos from the northern kingdom, showing that the people have rejected both God's message and God's genuine messenger. The final oracle is the most devastating of all. In it, God dismisses the Israelites as his covenant people, saying that the Exodus should not make them feel more special than any other nation. Are you Israelites more important to me than the Ethiopians? asks the Lord. I brought Israel out of Egypt, but I also brought the Philistines from Crete and led the Arameans out of Kir. I, the sovereign Lord, am watching this sinful nation of Israel. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. But then, in a pattern we will see again and again, the epilogue expresses renewed hope for the future. Amos, the earliest of the prophets, sets a template that God's later messengers will also follow. There will be judgment on God's people because of injustice and unfaithfulness, but then a promised restoration will come through the mercy and love of God. The covenant will prevail. God will reinstitute himself as king and heal his land. The Prophet Amos This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion, and thunder from Jerusalem. The lush pastures of the shepherds will dry up. The grass on Mount Carmel will wither and die. This is what the Lord says. 
The people of Damascus have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They beat down my people in Gilead, as grain is threshed with iron sledges. So I will send down fire on King Hazael's palace, and the fortresses of King Ben-Hadad will be destroyed. I will break down the gates of Damascus, and slaughter the people in the valley of Avon. I will destroy the ruler in Beth-Eden, and the people of Aram will go as captives to Kir, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The people of Gaza have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sent whole villages into exile, selling them as slaves to Edom. So I will send down fire on the walls of Gaza, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. I will slaughter the people of Ashdod and destroy the king of Ashkelon. Then I will turn to attack Ekron, and the few Philistines still left will be killed, says the Sovereign Lord. This is what the Lord says. The people of Tyre have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They broke their treaty of brotherhood with Israel, selling whole villages as slaves to Edom. So I will send down fire on the walls of Tyre, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. The people of Edom have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They chased down their relatives, the Israelites, with swords, showing them no mercy. In their rage, they slashed them continually and were unrelenting in their anger. So I will send down fire on Teman, and the fortresses of Basra will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. The people of Ammon have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. When they attacked Gilead to extend their borders, they ripped open pregnant women with their swords. So I will send down fire on the walls of Rabbah, and all its fortresses will be destroyed. The battle will come upon them with shouts like a whirlwind in a mighty storm and their king and his princes will go into exile together, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The people of Moab have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They desecrated the bones of Edom's king, burning them to ashes. So I will send down fire on the land of Moab, and all the fortresses in Kerioth will be destroyed. The people will fall in the noise of battle as the warriors shout and the ram's horn sounds, and I will destroy their king and slaughter all their princes, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They have rejected the instruction of the Lord, refusing to obey his decrees. They have been led astray by the same lies that deceived their ancestors. So I will send down fire on Judah, and all the fortresses of Jerusalem will be destroyed. This is what the Lord says. 
The people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. They sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At their religious festivals, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. But as my people watched, I destroyed the Amorites, though they were as tall as cedars and as strong as oaks. I destroyed the fruit on their branches and dug out their roots. It was I who rescued you from Egypt and led you through the desert for forty years so you could possess the land of the Amorites. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel? asks the Lord. But you caused the Nazarites to sin by making them drink wine, and you commanded the prophets, shut up. So I will make you groan like a wagon loaded down with sheaves of grain. Your fastest runners will not get away. The strongest among you will become weak. Even mighty warriors will be unable to save themselves. The archers will not stand their ground. The swiftest runners won't be fast enough to escape. Even those riding horses won't be able to save themselves. On that day, the most courageous of your fighting men will drop their weapons and run for their lives, says the Lord. This concludes today's Immerse Reading Experience. Thank you for joining us.